Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Okay, ready? I'm ready. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Happy Sunday. Welcome to Book Talk. Book Talk is a weekly podcast book club. And we are just getting started with The Perfect Ruin by Shonora Williams. So this episode is going to cover the first 90 pages of this book. Oh, and if you're just joining us, <laughs> welcome. Uh, we start the episode with Katie giving us a recap because I don't know about you, but as soon as I'm done reading, I forget everything I just read. That's true. So this section was a little bit longer than we normally read, but I do feel like it flew by. Um, we meet and get inside the head of our main character, Ivy, who is an extremely interesting narrator. We're not 100% sure what happened to Ivy, but I am 100% sure that she is mad about it. And she's mad specifically at Lola, um, a rich Miami socialite who runs a charity and does boxing two days a week, two facts that are maybe going to be important later on. We don't know specifically why she's mad yet, but we do watch Ivy infiltrate Lola, her husband, and the entire Maxwell family with a very well-thought-out plan, and we're learning about this plan from a letter she writes back to her therapist. Um, so we're getting further and further inside Ivy's head and becoming closer to Lola. Okay, so what did you think of this section? Give me, like, high levels, and we can kind of talk through the theme, but I just want to know your overall perception so far. It's pretty clear this narrator is not supposed to be the most likable person she's clearly has a vendetta and is going about it in a pretty unhinged way <laughs> unhinged is the adjective that i have been searching for yes she is she is quite unhinged i wrote out of reality but i think what i meant was unhinged <laughs> which is tough because you're not rooting for her if anything you're like lola get her out of your house like this girl is crazy mm -hmm. but i guess i'm as i was reading this entire section i was just thinking like okay whatever happened to her must have been really bad and i wonder if in the end we'll understand where she's coming from but it's at this point i don't understand where she's coming from i don't like her and i don't i'm not rooting for her which makes it difficult to connect with Ivy. Yeah, I don't think I'm connecting with Ivy, but I think I am like, what is this crazy chick going to do? Like, what is going to happen? Um, because, yeah, I can't. And this is kind of what I was thinking about. I can't think of any. I think whatever happened to her was obviously bad. In my head, I'm like, what could possibly be bad enough that you're going to that you're doing this? You're going to all these insane lengths. Um, one part I was thinking of was she was judging people for being on Instagram and like, or being on their phones and not paying attention, not being like present in the current moment. And I'm like, girl, you are not, you are not here. You are not in this realm like of rational ways to deal with things. You are buying an insanely expensive gym membership to stock this girl. You are literally getting breast implants to get closer to her husband. You are not present. I mean, get Instagram. I feel like it would be better for you than this. It was pretty funny and ironic that section where she's criticizing all these other people for like following the lives of others and just spending all their time like looking at what other people are doing as she's spending all of her time becoming obsessed with what Lola is doing and what her husband is doing. That was pretty like obviously laughable. 
I just can't imagine a world and where I feel like what she's doing is justified, but also I don't know the world. And so I don't think I like Ivy, but I'm also not trying to relate with her. I feel like I'm reading this more as like just trying to hear the story and solve the problem. Like I'm not reading this to like relate to Ivy or relate it back to my life. I think this is like a purely, at least for me right now, like a purely thrilling novel. I don't know what lessons I'm about to learn from this girl, if any. We were talking before we started recording about how this is like a very different type of book than we've read or that we would normally read. And that is part of what we're trying to do with our podcast book club picks is try and read a lot of different types of books to expose ourselves and other people to different styles of writing. This type of book reminds me a lot more of a book and I don't mean this to be in a, like offensive, but this reminds me of a book for people who don't read a lot because every chapter almost or every couple of chapters, it's ending with like, but my plan is going to come back and now I'm going to like enact vengeance upon her. And it's like that is like will keep you going, even if you're not normally one to keep reading a book. You know, this is a book that's like it is very difficult to not find out like you we want to know what's coming so badly that it will keep you engaged and it almost reminds me more of like a high drama television show where I'm expecting like twists upon twists upon twists to be coming and more of a plot driven flashy character driven story than like a meditative introspection into Ivy. Which there is a space for both of those types of books and both of those types of media, right? Like if you're watching, we talk about this all the time. There are different reasons for doing different things for watching TV shows. The comparison I was thinking of this book, which may or may not be accurate is Jane, the Virgin. And did you ever watch that? No, I know what I mean, it don't, is, but <laughs> okay. I mean, don't, but, um, it like, it is, and I didn't watch it all, but I did watch like part of a season in like the worst parts of grad school when I like had no brain space to even watch anything remotely, whatever. And I would watch it and I was like, this is silly, but also like who murdered who, who got fake Botox, like what's happening. And so I think it's kind of the same thing, um, where like, this is strictly just for like the thrill of it I guess I do feel like the writing is a little cheesy for me and the dialogue is a little bit cheesy for me um personally so I feel like that kind of takes away from it which I rarely have opinions on the style of writing at least as often as like you do but I am I don't really love it the style of the writing the book I think is fine I think I would read it on a set like I read it last night and it was entertaining I didn't put it down to watch TV like I wasn't like on board of this book I read the whole thing straight through and I was like definitely entertained like well, this chick is crazy but I don't know that it was like a book where I'm gonna think about it when I'm done like the power or something I am willing to see where it goes that's how I'm feeling like I'm I'm in I'm into the story I think yeah Lola is much smarter than Ivy's giving her credit for like mm -hmm. this Ivy is seething with anger at her constantly mm -hmm. and uh you're telling me that she is lola's not picking up on this at all come on <laughs> well and i or that lola has not somehow made this connection to this person 
who she had intentionally reached out and given her name to. Like, it just seems a little too far-fetched. I think what we're being told is happening is not what's happening. So I, I'm willing to go with it because I want to know I want to know how this is going to play out. Same. Like, I so can't. So I'm bought in. Yeah. I'm bought in, too. And I love books like this that are just for the fun of it where I feel like I can kind of predict the ending and then it, like, fully surprises me and I'm, like, jaw-dropped. Like, I, I do. So we'll see what happens. In terms of the writing style, one thing that does bother me is how often Ivy's calling Lola a bitch. <laughs> I just hate. Uh, I don't know. Didn't we talk about, like, cuss words at a certain point? Yes, like, we talked about. I think we there's like a words, line. Like, we talked about uh, racial slurs, but in the same thing. Whereas, like, what's it adding to the story? Yeah, I just, I guess it's how Ivy talks. So it's also that's also part of like having an un- unlikable and sort of unreliable narrator is like you have to just like go with the way that they speak and the way that they address people and the way that they think. And it's just like that part. I didn't like the overuse of the B word because it's not a word that I use or that I enjoy reading (laughs) that's fair i'm like ivy you have internalized misogyny and you need to address it with (laughs) marriott she does i think she's supposed to be unlikable and i think she's angry and you're definitely at least getting that part of it and you're getting her like i was thinking there's something where like ivy thinks that she has created this plan that is so smart and so intricate and like you said like i think lola knows more than we're giving her credit for so i think the use of like that language too maybe kind of showcases that like this plan she thinks is super intricate is maybe just like more simple than we think it is or people can see through it I don't know what that could add to it but I agree with the usage of it I do enjoy reading about Lola's crazy luxurious life and the whole time I'm like can I live in a glass house on the beach with a chef and a raspberry mimosa or what and like a oh he wants to like he had to be close to the bay because like he wanted to park his yacht or his boat or whatever. I'm like oh my god, oh, I what a it. dream! I'm loving the setting With of her that hot hot husband. husband. I know who like oh my god he tells me I'm gorgeous all the time. How annoying! Like oh my god, she's what? like he's done all my friends' boobs. He truly doesn't care. <laughs> I know I loved that. I feel like yeah there was some definitely cringeworthy scenes in this section, and I feel like. I feel like I don't like Lola or Ivy, really. I think they're – and maybe I just don't like the writing about them. I think it's kind of cheesy. But I think that that maybe is who Ivy is, and there's more to Lola that we're going to find out. Also, you're just not that well-connected and rich, and you don't know what you're doing. You don't know who this girl is. You're just not. That's not how the world works. <laughs> right. Lola must be a very shrewd business person, strategist, and also she must be able to read people to reach the level of success that she's reached. And uh, yeah, I think we do see it a little bit with her husband. Do you remember what his name is? Corey. Corey. Where Ivy has concocted this like, let me seduce him by getting my boobs done. Insane. Again, unhinged. And (laughs) then she sets it up like, oh, I'll be at their house and maybe he'll come over and then we'll have this little secret that like he did my boobs and wink, wink. We know each other. But like you know, we'll keep that between us and maybe this will like be the start of an affair. And he's just like, oh, hey, Ivy, I remember you. Like, what's up? It just completely ruins her plan. (laughs) Yeah, I did her boobs. I don't know. What do you mean? Okay, got to go. Bye. I'm going to hang out with my friend. See you later. Like, he's not he's not here for it. Again, unhinged. But again, oh, sorry. To your original point, I also am loving the like luxurious, wealthy Miami lifestyle that Lola lives. I'm obsessed with her like the food that they're describing, the drinks that she has, the spread that she has, her friend, yes. the photographer who she's made famous. Like, I I do really like Lola. 
I thought I'd been I like Lola. I think that her the way that she's talking seems unbelievable and cheesy to me. Um, and like because it is correct. That's because what I'm saying. It, yeah, so I think, I think it that's seems what we're both that way, but I think on. there's more to her. Whereas I feel like Ivy seems that way, and I don't think there's more to her. So that's what I'm saying. I just don't like the way she's written, but I love her life, and I want to be her friend. And I think she, yeah, like I want to be in that family as well, but I'm not going to get my boobs done by her husband to get into it. Well, luckily you don't need it. I mean, <laughs> that goes without saying. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, let's do <laughs> predictions. Because I feel like you know, every time we read a thriller, I love to do predictions and then be 100% wrong. So what What do you think? Do you have any predictions for what Lola did to Ivy? I Okay, my guess before talking to you today was that she obviously killed her family somehow. That's my guess. Something happened with her family. With uh, So Lola did something to hurt Ivy's family. But then when you were talking about how sensitive she is to people not paying attention i wonder if it was just like an accident like a car accident because lola was on her phone and that's why she's so upset when people are on their phones i didn't make that connection until you were talking about it so i could see that as the as the act like an accident but that again to what you were saying earlier it's it's really hard to imagine something that would be so bad that ivy would have this insane grudge against her but also not bad enough that Lola like has not faced any legal issues like that part is so strange she's just fine and it also doesn't seem that she's faced any social repercussions so it can't be that bad that's kind of yeah my thoughts that I wrote down while I was reading this um the first thing I thought of was was Lola her birth mom and like gave her up for adoption and she found out. And so, like, now she's not getting the attention. She, like, she feels like people aren't paying attention to her. But also, and then, because she would go to those after, awful foster care homes. And so I'm kind of like, but, okay, so that was my original thought. was, like, Lola was her birth mom and gave her up. She found out. And now it's, like, she can't let it go. She hates it for ruining her life and for whatever happened to her in the foster home. So that was my, like, original thought of it. But then she says whatever happened with Lola happened when Ivy was 14. So, like, yes, that story could still be true, but, like, I don't think she gave up for adoption at 14. So, what happened? But that was my, like, original thought was, like, is Lola her birth mom? Because I feel like the foster care thing is going to come back into it somehow, but I don't know how. And then my second thought was, like, that Lola hurt her family, her real family, and that's why she had to go into foster care at 14. So, those are, like, the two, the two things I thought of. So, we'll see. But, yeah, I still am, like, I think it has to have been – mostly an accident or something that not or Lola is a like insane murderer with great social connections who can cover everything that she does but I mean that seems less likely but could be true the birth mom theory is a good one it's also it would be funny if that's the case because then this is like a reverse um Oedipal tragedy I think that's what you say when it's like of the story of Oedipus where you're trying to where he kills his dad and falls in love with his mom, but now she's falling in love with her mom's w- husband and right. wants to kill her mom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe. I don't know. I do feel like Georgia knows. Whatever it was, good, bad, accident, whatever, I think Georgia knows, and I think that she's playing that stereotypical role of, like, house manager or, or executive assistant that she's, like, forever loyal and that is going to pose some issues for ivy i don't know if 
Georgia knows, but I think Georgia knows that Ivy's up to no good. And she is not able to do what Lola can do, which is like kind of hide it or put a front up to say like, it's okay. You know, I, whatever Lola's like, it's better to deal with this in house. Essentially. Like I can keep an eye on her if I keep her around all the time. Um, but Georgia is like, no, I know you're up to no good and I'm not going to be fake about it. Get out, Ivy. She's like, you're a psycho. Yeah, I wonder what Georgia knows about how that will come back and be a twist. Maybe Georgia's her birth mom. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Wow. Everybody is everybody's <laughs> birth mom. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yes, I am curious, like, what Ivy's endgame is here. Like, is she trying to kill Lola and sleep with Corey? Is that the goal? I think she's trying to just take her life, not literally take her life, but take her money, her her following, her husband, all of the things that make her successful. I think she's just trying to ruin her. I don't think she's trying to kill her. I think it's almost worse. Like she wants her to suffer yeah. at the loss of her beautiful and perfect life. And I do think she wants the money. She is like, I want to be rich. I'm tired. I feel like I love when she's like spending, like killing herself, working up banana republic. <laughs> Trying to save all this money to like, and she's just like, it's temporary. Soon I will be rich. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, we read a lot because of the structure of the book. So next week we're going to finish reading part one. And then the following week we'll read the entirety of part two. And the last week we'll read the entirety of part three. So I'm hoping that by the end of part one, we're, I don't know. I think we're going to be really bought in and maybe we'll have our first twist. Who knows? Can't wait. Find out next week. Okay, so the last time we did a talk talk, you were upset with me because you hadn't finished uh, your January books. But it seems like you finished a couple books. No, I didn't finish a couple books. And you finished way. Oh, no. I (laughs) I finished one, but you finished so many. I would like to also say that I'm moving and that's my excuse right now. But every time I check my Instagram and you've read another book, I'm like, okay. (laughs) It's making me want to finish Milk Fed and Girl Woman Others so I can just get my count up. (laughs) But I hated both of them. Like, I might finish Milk Fed just to say that I read it. Well, um, you are past the worst part of Milk Fed. Yeah, so I might, to be fair, I might finish it um, just to say that I did. But I did finish reading The Power, um, which I loved and need to discuss in more depth. I didn't write anything down about it, but I thought the story was super captivating on a lot of levels. I thought I was really invested in, like, the actual plot and what was happening, but I think there was such good character development on multiple stories. It wasn't just like one main character that you get to know kind of their best and worst. You're with so many different characters. Um, So I loved the intertwining stories. I loved Roxy. (laughs) She is wild. Um, And I feel like there were so many parallels and so much that could draw people into deeper conversation about a lot of things that are going on today um, while being a like truly original story. So I thought it was insane, but I loved it. 
so good. It's also your, I think when you posted about it, you said it was like disturbing because it, it is really disturbing also. But I loved how it was disturbing to make a point about about the nature of power and what it does and how it can be corrupting. I I loved it. I think and what I said too was like, I will not stop thinking about this book. And I think that is true. Like it is themes of it and things that happen and what power does like these, these kind of like bigger themes that happen throughout the book. And also the stories, like I will think about this book again and I will remember what happened. And there are very, not very few, but I would say not the majority of books that I read. Do I remember the basis of what happened or the lessons I learned from it? And this book will like not leave my brain. So maybe more to come on the power. Maybe. Um, and then I'm almost done with Carnegie's Maid, which is the other book I was reading. I'm like 90% done. So I think I have like five more pages, but I just couldn't finish it. <laughs> so I fell asleep. I'm finished it this morning, but it's so good. And it's, it's like a good historical fiction. It was a recommendation from my mom. So if you don't know by now, my mom reads a very specific type of fiction fiction it is historical fiction with a strong woman main character every time so it's like the women behind men in power it is women who had influence on history that you don't hear about like that's the story um and that fits this one as well it's about an irish immigrant maid in the carnegie family which we talked about last time and they're uh, kind of on the upswing of their power and wealth in building industry and railroads um and it's like the story of it's story of love and family, but also of her like insane business sense um, and how she kind of, yeah, falls in love with one of the men she's kind of working for. Fun. Yes. Okay. So what did you read? <laughs> well, I only read one book, so, okay. you know, don't be so dramatic, but <laughs> I, I'm nothing if not dramatic. Uh, so this is a recommendation from my friend Jane and it is the uh, most recent book I read was Weather by Jenny Offill. And Jane had sold it to me because she was like, this is not an, not a traditionally trained novelist. She is very, uh, what I would call in my field of research, like phenomenological. She's very, she's writing from like her real, from her real feelings. And a lot of it is informed by her real life. And I loved it. It was, she's a very unique writing style. So they, every chapter is like broken up into short, like two to three sentences like that. And it's like two to three sentences space, two to three sentences space, two to three sentences space. And it's a little bit difficult to sort of figure out what's going on. Each of us, like those little mini sections are much more of like, a reflection or her emotional reaction to what's happening. And so it's a little sort of difficult. You're like piecing the plot together, but it's not, the story is not really about the plot. So this person who's our main character, Lizzie works in academia, you know, used to be a PhD, wanted to be on the tenure track, et cetera, kind of fell out of fashion with that lives with her husband and her son in Brooklyn and is sort of dealing with an existential crisis regarding climate change and the world ending. And it's just the story of like how she's making meaning, but also dealing with there not being any meaning and the world potentially ending and how to take care of her son and, you know, all of kind of those thoughts at the same time. And I loved it. I resonated with the main character a ton. This is not a book 
that this is sort of like the opposite of the perfect ruin. Like pretty much nothing is happening. Like there's not really a ton of plot at all. Like her husband goes on vacation and it's like, oh my God, that's like a huge <laughs> plot point because like nothing else really happens. But it's much more about her like rich inner life and how she's struggling and how she's dealing with just essentially the knowledge of like how serious climate change is and also the election in 2016 and what that means for her and her family. And um, yeah, I loved it. So it's not for, it's not a book for everybody. I think this is a book for like, you know, if, if you're, you're looking for like a, a book with a lot of feeling and like very character driven, uh, you'd like this book, but it's not for, it, it it's not a book that's gonna like carry you. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, you have to like. like there's no. Be, it's there's not like not this. A... We're not like. And also the plan. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, she's like, and then my husband came back from vacation, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay exactly. It's like I, you know, the daily routine of like taking care of a son, like packing his backpack, playing with the dog, like, you know, the living in New York City. It's like it's not a. There's not a lot of plot, but there's a lot of feeling. There's a lot of heart, and there, if you're somebody who is prone to existential dread, you will feel reflected in the main character. Yeah, I don't think I want to read that then. <laughs> Yeah, this is not a, it's not a book for everybody, but mm -hmm. it's, Jane was correct in uh, targeting it directly to me. <laughs> that's uh that's fair. That's a read. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so now I'm reading um, Chuck Palahniuk's book, Consider This, which is a nonfiction book that he is writing essentially all of his writing advice. And I am not a fiction writer. I mean, I write a lot for my program, for my grad school. Speaking of, just got a paper published. No big deal. No way. You didn't tell me that. So exciting. Where? It's not a paper. It's a paper. It's at this journal called Academy of Management Discoveries, which is sort of a new journal. Academy of what? It's in Sorry, my space. Academy of Management Discoveries. Okay. Okay. Um, it's a good journal. It's an academy journal. So this is like the field that I'm in it's like our flagship group of journals um it's not my favorite paper which is why I'm not that excited about it um but we looked at how remote workers dress for work and how that impacts their psychological outcomes yeah I was told about that and I listened to that did listen to none of that advice you were like here's what will give you the best psychological outcomes and I was like okay cool cool I won't be doing that <laughs> No, no. We find that if you're working from home, the best thing that you can do is to just dress like you would if you were at home. I know. That's what I'm saying I do wrong. I wear the sweatpants and the sweater. Oh, yeah. You do the Zoom mullet. The, right. Like, the Zoom mullet. Work, oh, God. <laughs> that's what it's – that's the that's the term. And it's not as good for you as just dressing as if you were at home, which is so funny. Correct. Okay. Anyway, so I do a lot of that type of writing, like academic writing, but I've always nursed the idea that someday I'll write a book or a couple of books. Probably they'll be like nonfiction pop science books, but whatever. I always have the idea that one day I'll write an actual fiction book, probably because I'm so opinionated about all the books that I read. And then I feel like I need to try and write a book so that everybody can be like, see, it's not so fucking easy, Erica. <laughs> I also want to write a fiction book someday. Oh, what does your main character drink? Orange juice? Wow. <laughs> See, you fell into the trap. It's not easy. Why don't you come up with a main character's name that doesn't sound ridiculous and see how <laughs> <Ryle>. hard it is? <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyways, so this book by Chuck Palahniuk is fascinating, and he talks a lot about how how authors should approach their readers and how to structure this fake world in a way that comes across as real to the reader, which is such a fascinating thing that you know happens. It's so funny that we read books and we're like, well, that doesn't seem realistic. And it's like, well, yeah, because it didn't happen. Right. <laughs> like, it is fake. You're right. You got us. <laughs> Not believable. Oh, okay. Perfect. But so it's all of this just like trying to, you know, world building and, and character building and setting the stage. So it's not. So I've read um the other book about writing that I read was Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, which I really loved. That book has a lot more like life advice. This book is strictly almost writing advice. But mm. I love Chuck Palahniuk. You do. I assume he's problematic, but he was one of my favorite first authors. He was like one of the first authors I really got super into. And it's just interesting to hear the story behind it. I love that. Just guessing. He's probably problematic. <laughs> I don't know why or how, but I, I'm I'm almost certain. So you don't have to tell me. If you want to, you could tell me. No, yeah. Well, it's a library book, so. Okay. Yay. But it's, yeah. So that's interesting. And then I don't know what I'm going to read next. Yeah, I have no idea what I'm going to read next. I'm about to finish The Carnegie's Made today. And... I don't have any idea what I'm... I have, like, a long list, though, so don't worry. See you next week. Bye. Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. I hope I'm not in section three and still not still inside this girl's brain with nothing to know. We'll see. With nothing to know. Okay, let me say that again. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Just kill me. <laughs>